We spend massive amounts of time and money, but mostly time, training these animals, taking care of them, making sure that if if they would happen to be hurt, they get the best veterinary care possible. It's, for the most part, I, at my house still, the animals are fed before I am. Yep. So we, we take very good care of our animals. Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet. Welcome to Animal Tales, where we talk about my favorite subject, animals. Today we're going to talk about rodeos. It's uh, something I've wanted to do for quite a while on this podcast, and I'm thrilled to have Scott Dorenkamp from the PRCA, the Professional the professional Rodeo Cowboys Association, and also there is the Women's Professional Rodeo Association. They are the governing bodies for rodeos. Rodeo is a sport that actually started out as elements of working on the ranch, working with the animals, and turned into a competitive sport. Also today in some smaller municipalities, they have ranch rodeos, which are a lot of fun. They take teams from actual working ranches and farms, and they compete in a variety of sports with their animals. It's really neat, and I hope you enjoy this conversation about rodeos with Scott Dorenkamp. Hi, Scott. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. How are you? I'm great. I'm happy to have you here. And we're going to talk rodeo, which is a, a subject I actually love and had the opportunity to do when I was a teenager and thoroughly enjoyed. So maybe start out by telling our listeners how you're involved with the rodeo and what your role is. I am the livestock program and government relations manager for the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association. It's a big, long title, but basically I deal with everything animal welfare and government, any kind of government regulations from local to national. Boy, that's a that's a big job. There's a lot, lot of moving parts in that job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is. Uh, I've been around rodeo my whole life, so... I know kind of what's going on. My dad was a stock contractor when I was younger. So, okay. I mean, it's, it's all, I'm real familiar with all of it. Yeah, no doubt. And I, um, as I had told you prior to our um, taped conversation, I grew up in a circus family. So same type of thing. You just know it intimately and you know what's real and what's not. And we know that we're up against a vocal minority who are trying to uh, discredit it. Let's go back, though, to the word stock contractor, because it's funny. I was just with a friend of mine who's uh, not a rodeo or she has a horse, but, you know, just a just a horse enthusiast and didn't know when I said stock contractor, didn't know what that meant. So maybe explain to folks what it is to be a stock contractor. A stock contractor is the person or company that provides the rodeo livestock that actually gets competed on at rodeos. So they own the bucking horses, the bucking bulls, the cattle that are roped or uh, steer wrestling cattle, things like that. Right. And maybe we'll get right into it because I know the, the animal rights community like to follow the narrative that it's all bad and the poor animals and that type of thing. You having grown up in it to it, um, tell us what, tell folks who, again, aren't involved or aren't animal people, 
what it really is all about, what's involved in the, the heritage of the animals and that type of thing. Well, the animal rights activists like to say that we're taking docile farm animals and making them perform and you couldn't get a lot further from the truth than what they are saying right there because the animals that we are using are bred for that specific purpose bred for bucking horses bred for bucking bulls um once in a while you'll get somebody's old saddle horse that just refuses to be rode and bucks and they're too dangerous to have just a normal person riding around they're really too dangerous to be be rode around because you can't trust them in a jam right. or in a high pressure situation. So, no, they are. We even have registers like uh, the Quarter Horse Association. We have the same kind of things for bucking bulls and bucking horses. So right. When I say we, I mean all of the people, not PRCA. It's everybody. Right. That's involved. So PRCA is. Uh, Professional? Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association. Right. Okay. Yeah, we are the we're the oldest rodeo sanctioning body and largest in the world. Is it considered like a trade association? Would that be the? Well, no, I don't know. It's not even. You wouldn't consider it a union association, but because everybody's considered a, uh, oh, I'm trying to think, an independent contractor. Sure. As far as the tax purposes and things like that, but. We are a membership organization and we're run by our members. We have a board of directors that's uh, voted in by the members. Our rules are voted in or out as sure. the board sees how they need to be. And no doubt at this point in time, and I even, again, I, I believe your predecessor, somebody who was involved that I communicated with uh, several decades ago when I was doing, um, when I was a spokesperson for the exhibited animal industry. And it was a, it's such a fluid, and even what I do now um, with folks who have exhibited animals, it's so fluid because we're always looking at what regulations are in place, where we can step in and add to those um, maybe set the bar higher as as updates in science and technology come into play. I always say the best program is uh, generational experience, uh, best practices, animal husbandry, and then updates in science and technology. Then you've got a great program, right? They want to cut out the generational experience, unfortunately, and that's really, to me, what drives uh, the knowledge base and how we know what is, especially where the livestock and animals are concerned, what's right for the animals, but also the people. And rodeo is something that goes back. Um, what's the genesis of rodeo, especially in the United States? <laughs> the genesis was just as far as competition is with any other, probably started out with young men who didn't have who had too much time on their hands that said, <laughs> oh, there's a horse that I, nobody around here can ride. And somebody said, well, I'm riding. Right. And it went from there. And that's yeah. how it ended up. But I, I want to go back to something you said sure. about they're trying to get rid of the generational knowledge. And you said, you said the phrase best practices. And I come from a teaching background. I taught high school math for 20 years as well. And one, I think we need to be careful when we say best practices because we get into universities and training programs and things like that. And firsthand from the education side of it, 
when they say best practices, it is not necessarily the best practice. Okay. The best practice might come from somebody who has passed things down from father to son to daughter to grandchildren. And some of the, and just from my experience, some of the things that the academics are saying best practices, the ranchers, farmers, livestock men and women have known for ages. It's yeah. And I, like I said, I think we need to be careful when we talk about things like that. Well, that's actually how I mean it, but I I I think your point is well taken. It, we also um, you know, animal husbandry, how we care for our animals and but the experts, not the those who sit in a in an academic institution or animal rights groups who um, come in. My biggest beef with the animal rights groups, the credibility is their lack of animal expertise. And they drown out the voices of those who truly are experts, those who have lived and worked alongside of animals and understand them. So, you know, it's a good point, though, because the, all these words, boy, talk about uh, phrases and, and words that are co-opted uh, by the animal rights groups, even the word rescue, which when I was growing up wasn't a popular word, but there was a pound in our town and, you know, somebody might rescue a dog. Now it's it's completely co-opted. So um, it, it is nationally. It's like yeah. you're it's like you said, the humane that your local humane society is not the humane society of the United States. Yes. They're completely two separate things. And yeah. You know, I think one of the things that we forget and need to be reminded of is that everyone is trying to make a living. And we have so-called experts who are experts in animal husbandry and conservation and things like that, but yet they have no expertise in making a living or making yeah. a profit. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like I'm trying to think who that I think it was Michael Bloomberg when he was oh, running gosh. for president said about farming. Well, all you got to do is plant, put a seed in the ground, cover it with dirt. And one of my brothers happened to say, he said, yeah, it sounds simple, but now make a living doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And feed feed uh, hundreds of thousands of people. Right. We do. I've done a lot of podcasts with the agriculture community and um, of course, protect the harvest as well and different ones. So. It's a common theme on this podcast to talk about that. And the other totally laughable thing is um, we're all just, we all just hold these animals to make money off their backs. That's it. Because we're all rolling in the dough. God knows animal people are just, just filthy rich. And uh, it's all, you know, our, because of our animals. We're rich because we get to live a life that's pretty true and has a lot of integrity and honesty. And we live beside our animals and right. um, most, most of our definition of rich has nothing to do with wealth. Exactly. And I feel, I feel privileged about that, frankly. Um, back to rodeo. So one of the, one of the type of rodeos that are popular now that I find a lot of fun are the ranch rodeos. And I think for somebody who um, has not been around a rodeo or seen a rodeo, they, they are um, talking about how a group of people on a ranch then started to compete against a neighboring ranch or that type of thing, or even within their own. 
and the different elements. So generally in the rodeo and even the ranch rodeo, maybe describe to the people who uh, haven't gone down this road or haven't enjoyed it, you know, got to know it, what, what it's all about. What is, what does it mean when you go to the rodeo? What are you seeing and what do you want to take in? The, in a regular, what I, I guess regular might be the word for it, but in a regular PRCA rodeo, you're going to see events that were, that are descended from actual ranch work. Like the horse riding came from training horses. We call it breaking horses. And yeah. I know it's kind of a bad buzzword now, but when you broke horses to ride or drive in a wagon or whatever, then somebody had to te- uh, ride them yeah. and get them where they didn't buck anymore. And you could control them and be safe for other people to ride. And that's where the horse riding events came from. Bull riding, I think that was you'll see the animal rights activists say that's never that never happens on a ranch or farm well yes it does young young boys are trying to ride a cow or a steer or bull all the time yeah something yeah um we don't have when you grow up on a farm or ranch you don't have the local theater to walk to every day yeah so it was it was entertaining i mean and you have people that are absolutely dead set you shouldn't be entertaining yourself at the expense of animals well right you're not you're not torturing the animals for one thing yeah um but most everything came from there the uh team roping absolutely is still used on ranches calf calf roping tie down roping is absolutely still used and the people who say it's not don't know what they're talking about because when you use them to you use those techniques to doctor sick animals yeah absolutely you you may not like i like i was alluding to a minute ago you can't just walk to your local theater well you can't just call the local vet him be there in two minutes you have to doctor him yourself immediately and that's how you do it so yeah everything came from some kind of a ranch work is derived from that uh the ranch rodeos i honestly am not real familiar with that because i don't compete in ranch rodeos i never have it's it's more of a team on team deal they still have the buck and horse ridings they do more gathering and things like that so yeah they and i think maybe they're popular i'm in florida i actually live in pinellas county florida very dense county so a lot of urbanites and not a lot of uh farm and activity like that so sometimes they'll they'll probably one is a cost factor and they could produce it locally type of thing. Don't necessarily need the stock contractors. So they'll come in and they call it a ranch rodeo. They'll do a bit of sorting, which is has become a big uh, a big thing. And oh, then yeah. it's, it's all for time. I mean, I, when I say I'm not familiar, I'm yeah. I do know what's going on, but yeah, I just I'm more of the the uh, specialized events. Right? Yeah, sure. And then they do the like loading in the trailers and that kind of thing. So um, a lot of fun as well as if you can't get to a bigger rodeo. Down, of course, down in Arcadia, they have, don't they call it the granddaddy of them all? The, well, they the, have the big rodeo. There a lot, there's a lot of rodeos in Florida that yeah. I wasn't even familiar with till I started working at the PRCA. I mean, they have, I think they might have four rodeos in Kissimmee. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Silver Spurs is big too. Yeah. yeah. Silver Spurs has them. Arcadia has them. Homestead has one. There's all kinds of them down there. I went to the Silver Spurs not long ago, and I was really pleasantly surprised that it was packed. And it wasn't all country folk. You know what I mean? There were 
people with their families and really enjoyed it. It's such a wholesome, fun thing to do. Um, very patriotic. You will leave feeling very much uh, patriot of our great country. And I love that part of it as well. I know also um, there are places where they call it bowls and barrels. When people see that, what is that referring to? It's usually just a bull riding and a barrel racing, and that's it. The okay. Women do the barrel racing, then they have bull riding, and those are usually the only two events at something like that. Right. We'll have events, and there, I think we have one that we sanctioned that I know of, but we have other events that are just bull riding, just saddle bronc riding, just bareback riding. And okay. then we might combine two or three. But for the most part, we do our standard seven events. Okay, gotcha. And yeah, those are bareback riding, uh, saddle bronc riding, bull riding, tie down roping, steer wrestling, team roping, uh, okay. head and heel. Those are the seven events. Awesome. I'm talking with Scott Dorenkamp from the PRCA, Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association, about rodeo, because I know there's a lot of uh, misconceptions about it, and even a lot of curiosity about it. And uh, so, the uh, Scott, when I was a teenager, we actually traveled with a rodeo and Wild West show. It was called the Diamond S Rodeo and Wild West show. My father's friend uh, had toured it for years, and uh, it was a small version of what the Buffalo Bill and the Miller brothers used to be. I'm descended from um, a, a chef from the Miller brothers, 101 ranch in wild west show. So that's how we got our start in show business. My grandfather was a little kid on the show, a little punk as they would say, and uh, got involved with the horses and such and ended up being an animal trainer. And so fast forward to my teenage years and we, uh, we'd been traveling with our exhibited animals, primarily horses. And my dad's friend hired us for a couple seasons and we toured and uh, was one of the best. I mean, circuses are a great way to tour as well, but the rodeo was a blast. And they had um, buck in stock, but they did exhibition. So what that means was, for those who are listening, there was no purse. They didn't invite people from town to come and ride the stock. They did it with our cowboys as exhibition and, uh, and we did all our acts and trick riding and stuff in between and still, still fun memories of that one. One of our, uh, some of our best years having fun doing that. Um, so back to the horse, the animals, I saw a clip from the NFR national finals rodeo. Correct. They had, uh, rodeo announcers are just so good. They're just so good at what they do. And I saw a clip where they had mamas and babies out in the arena and the rodeo announcer was talking through the, the generations of, you know, these these mamas were born from other, you know, the animals and uh, and now they have their babies and generational. I tell you what, it's hard to keep a dry eye watching that. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're so yeah, good now, at that. Yeah. The, and what I don't think people realize is you really don't know whether a horse is actually going to make a bucking horse. And when I say make a bucking horse, I mean become a horse that is consistently bucks. Right. And you can haul to rodeos. You don't know whether you have a horse that's going to do that till they're maybe five. Most of the time it's six or seven. Okay. Like when, when we raised horses, you would, you would get them up and familiarize them with just the shoot 
and things like that, the bucking chute, the alleyways, moving, sorting, things like that, when they were two and three, get them used to people and working around other horses and things like that. And when they were four, you would maybe, maybe at the end of their third year, you would buck them under a dummy one time, then the next spring buck them under a dummy. And the bigger ones, more mature, they're just, they are a lot like people. Some of them mature faster than others. You might buck them once or twice when they're four, maybe three or four times with people on them. And then five, you're going to see whether you're going to know whether they're going to buck or not. Yeah. So, and not everything, not everything becomes a regular bucking horse. I mean, the right. horses, when we had horses, when they didn't buck, we uh, broke them to drive to wagons, things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, what, so I think a question people might have is, so, okay, they're, they're bred for uh, a stock contractor owns some animals and maybe they're breeding them or maybe they purchase them from somebody else who has breeding, the breeding stock. What happens to them when they retire? What, at what age or what time frame? And then where, what's the scenario for that? Well, um, it's, it just depends. Some of them, you break to ride some of them you break to for wagons um yep they go on to do different things i mean it's it's the same as regular horses right and that's uh, that's the key i think yeah yeah here i think one thing that people miss too is that the they have different we have different levels for rodeos so like a horse that may not make a PRCA bucking horse could go to a lower level, which we call amateur rodeo associations and be there or go to a high school or even little britches where they don't buck hard enough to hurt a young man yeah. or girl, but they give them experience in learning how to ride something and they move up the ranks. The riders move up the ranks and the horses get, uh, more difficult to ride as they move up so right that makes sense right the higher level and i mean they're the, those cowboys in i suppose cowgirls as well are badass i mean especially <laughs> I, I i love the um the the uh professional bull riders the the top right they what is it the top 10 when they come out and do that and they shoot off all the fireworks and stuff and yeah that uh, we have our our association has the top 15 15 okay national finals rodeo yeah yeah and that's uh, that's at the end of the year and it's it's more like i guess it's more like the world series because it comes down at the end of the year to the final 10 animals mm-hmm they have a 10 day everybody rides or competes uh the last 10 days and it's not the last 10 days of december but it's in december yeah so yeah it's in las vegas and then usually for the most part whoever wins the most money there wins the world the world championship so so in it you know if we watch a rodeo movie I'm sure always a little uh, stretch of the truth, but one of the things that, (laughs) yeah, exactly. We always laugh at circus movies and, you know, animal movies, but um, especially that the horse whinnies every time you talk to them or look at them or say their name, right? There's this whinny track that's just ridiculous. Horses, by the way, if you don't know that, if you don't have a horse, they don't whinny every time you look at them or around them. Um, But they, one of the things which I think has some truth to it is, when they're uh, 
let's say they're competing, they're getting ready to ride buck in stock, the bulls, and they're talking about the bulls, like that's lightning and that's thunder and that's Toro. And there's actually, they become famous as much as the people, um, the, the, the bulls themselves. Does it come down to that, like at the finals, are they actually, uh, is it a draw to choose who they ride or, and is there trepidation that they're going to get the toughest bull and somebody else is going to get one a little easier? What's the scenario? Uh, for the, no, when you get down to that level, you're down to the best bulls in all of PRCA. So they take the hundred the top 110 bulls and the top 105 horses in each event. So there's, and then they separate them into pins by how hard they buck. So when you get down to, let's say the last bull, you pretty much, you, you want the rankest bull. That way you can try to win the most money and. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah. And they do draw and it's a draw. They top the, like I said, those 15 guys, they draw just random out of a hat, draw those animals for them. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, in the movies, they're always talking, you know, like, uh, Oh, that's the most oh, dangerous. Yeah. That's the most difficult. You know, <laughs> yeah. there's a great, um, I, I did a podcast, uh, recently with Missy Dossinger about the ranch out in North Dakota, where they tried to confiscate their animals and um, that's one of the Forrest uh, films, Forrest Lucas films, right. uh, the stand at Paxton County. But I also saw another one, and I meant to look up the name before we spoke. I'll put it in show notes. But have you seen that? There's a, rode- there's a film about rodeo uh, that the rodeo comes to town and the mayor's daughter is fascinated by one of the, one of the cowboys and she goes and hangs around the lot and he, he's trying to ban the rodeo. And in it, this uh, cowboy character has a beautiful speech about his love of the animals and his love of the life. And um, it's really worth watching. I think it it helps it put into perspective a bit. It's just really well done. And uh, so I'll put that, I'll drop that link in show notes for that movie because it's, when you watch it, I think it, it also provides some perspective. Scott, what do you... Um, what do you want listeners to know? The, the average listener who may hear the word rodeo and turn up their nose or, you know, be, be negative, haven't probably even seen it more than likely. But what would you say to them? What, what, what would give them a comfort level or even a desire to maybe go see one, at least not to try to ban them before they've even seen one? Right. Um, You're going to run into, I guess, zealots, for lack of a better word, on both sides of Mm -hmm. the spectrum. And the people in the middle are the ones who are trying to talk sense to people. Don't, don't, Don't take everybody's word for it. Go find out for yourself. Have some curiosity. Nobody's, if you, if you go to the rodeo and don't like it, that's fine. Nobody says you have to. It has to be your favorite. I can't stand, personally, I can't stand watching soccer. <laughs> Want to go watch soccer? Be my guest. Right. You're not going to uh, ban soccer because you don't like it. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah. and. What are the. We spend, we spend massive amounts of time and money, but mostly time training these animals taking care of them, making sure that if 
if they would happen to be hurt, they get the best veterinary care possible. It's for the most part, I, at my house still, the animals are fed before I am. Yeah. So we, we take very good care of our animals. If you don't, and if you don't believe it, go find, go find an interstate and look at the horse pickup and horse trailers that are driving up and down that and look at the amount of just the expense taken to move these animals and that goes for all of agriculture not just rodeo yeah absolutely what kind of regulations if any are in place for the rodeo community um especially regarding the animals are you guys regulated in any way what does that look like we regulate we regulate ourselves we are one of the few horse industries that have we we have over 70 uh rules dealing just with animal welfare in our organization and like i said before we're the oldest and biggest organization and most everybody uses our rules or some derivation of them so we we regulate ourselves pretty well we take care if somebody would be on the wrong end of animal welfare we take care of it ourselves with suspensions fines things like that that's fantastic yeah you know, I, I, I do want to go back when you were asking me what I would tell people. I think what people need to realize is you're going to get on, if you research it on YouTube or anywhere else, you're going to get the most awful examples of anything. It'd be like Googling NASCAR, and they're going to show you the worst wrecks, things like that. But what they don't tell you is how many runs, and when I say runs, how many how many people did you see compete where nothing happened? Sure. Because, like our percentage, uh, safety percentage, we call is we have a ninety nine point nine percent safety percentage, and what that means is ninety nine point nine percent of every animal exposure in our arenas nationwide have no kind of injury whatsoever. Terrific, yeah. I I know you folks to be progressive because when I was. Um, a few decades ago, working as an exhibited animal spokesperson and lobbying and lobbying just meant that I was the person to go talk to uh, legislative officials. So I didn't consider it lobbying. I was just telling my story. But uh, the the PRCA information, I thought you guys were very progressive. I, the regulations, you know, working towards self-regulation at that time. And um, I felt like it, we all would have benefited from it. And uh, so kudos, because it's one of the reasons, too, I wanted to have you on uh, to talk about it, because um, I, I do know that to be the case. Also, you could certainly fill in if I ever take a break, because you just, that's my tagline is, the middle, find the middle. The, I started the podcast, Scott, because I'm an animal, third generation animal person. I got tired of hearing the lies, the mistruths, the exaggerations and the animal rights groups trying to put us out of business and vilify my dad and grandfather who were heroes to so many, as I'm sure like in your family. But I always say there's the happy face emoji and the the care. And then there's the angry face, the red face and the tear. Pretty quickly, those are a sign to one or the other uh, like either a you know a rescue dog or a rodeo horse or an elephant, right? And actually, it's the thinking face, the hmm, the the hand under the chin. Be thoughtful, be curious, because the solution or information or whatever is going to be more in the middle to get there, and you have to see for yourself as well. 
go see for yourself, you know, don't take somebody's word for it. Right. And, and don't take advice from, like I said, the zealots. Absolutely. Don't, don't take the word for it. And I think you were right on both sides. There are those folks who dig in their heels and uh, refuse, you know, this is the way it's always been and this is how we do it. And actually there's a middle well, to then, that. Then, yeah. And you've got the, you've got the other side that like the fight we're having in uh, the Los Angeles city right now, you've got a group there that doesn't think you ought to have a cat or a gerbil or an ant for a pet. They are absolutely off the deep end the other direction. So And people do not realize the agenda is all about that to to do away it's with all our about pets. it's all about money. Well, is that's what true. it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. And the the difference is those people are running on uh, the when I say those people I mean animal rights activists are running on your donations and we technically are asking you to come and enjoy yourself come and watch and enjoy yourself we don't want to force you to come watch but that, right. that group of people wants you to wants you to never ever see anything they want you to be forced to agree with them yeah and and so, and that phases animals out of your lives and uh that's that's it phases for, everything out of yeah, your yeah that's tragic yeah down, it changes but. your food everything right it's yeah. tragic because growing up with animals is a gift and I I don't, I mean, I've had so many people on this podcast, Marla Calico, who runs the International Association of Affairs, Jack uh, from the Center for Environment and Welfare, talking about the animal rights groups, multi-million dollars offshore. And then Marla talking about the fact that the principal of the school's like, uh, it's at the 4-H and the FFA and the ag kids that we have here in the office getting in trouble, you know. They they have a they're sort of, you know everybody's got their mischievous side but it's a sense of duty, and they learn growing up the world is bigger than them when you grow up with animals and I think that's a lesson we're really missing in today's world. And you learn you learn that there are responsibilities that you must take care of every single day. Right. And sometimes you have to take care of them before you take care of yourself. Absolutely. You are not the center. You, you and. Coming from a teaching background, we have a big problem with, and it, it isn't the kids, but it's the parents teaching the kids that they are not the center of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> we have a we have an issue with that right now. Yeah, um, agreed. And yeah, I, I would like you growing up, everything came, we were, we were last on the totem pole. Everything came before us, all the animals, everything that had to be done. And it was a great way to grow up, and I I'm, I feel privileged, which is one of the reasons when I look at podcasts out there that talk about animals, they all have the same narrative. And I was just determined to try to do you know something to let the people who truly love care work with and are experts about animals have the have a voice. So, however however large or small that might be, at least we get our message out. So I want to give you the last word. What would you like to leave folks with? about the rodeo and um, way of life or what they need to be thinking about or change their thinking on? It's one of the few, rodeo is one of the few places left that is totally merit-based. As When I say that on your desire to compete and nobody cares what color you are, how skinny, fat, in shape, fast whatever it is all merit-based and how much are you willing to dedicate your life 
to improving your craft. And it's, uh, we're not saints by no means. I'm not putting it that way, but we, we do care about people. We care about each other. It's one of the few places that you can go and the people are very accepting of who you are, but they're not, they are not going to accept you being, um, a leech, I guess, no, <laughs> for yep. lack of a better word. Yeah. <laughs> but no, and very understanding, very open uh, people. But come out and watch, find one. You can find a rodeo every weekend of the year somewhere. Yeah. And people will te- will show you and teach you the things they do. So. Yeah, a lot of fun. The rodeo announcers really do a great job of narrating um they're they're i'm a i'm a ringmaster you're right most of them competed at one point exactly but they they really walk you through it and uh so i i I appreciate that but you're absolutely right it's uh it's something every you know take in and see for yourself if you have a curiosity about it Mm -hmm. scott i thank you so much for being on and uh i myself look forward to seeing some more rodeos in the near future it's always a lot of fun so thank you. You, You're welcome. Thank you. Excellent, Scott. Thank you so much. All right. um, So I'll put the links to the PRCA and uh, if there's anything else you want me to note, just drop me a line and I'll put it in the show notes. It'll be a couple weeks before it airs. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate it. Yep. If you need anything else, just let me know. Will do. Well, you hear me say it on every episode, and you heard Scott say it, that you really need to go see for yourself. If you're curious at all, find a rodeo, go see a rodeo. I think you'll find that the folks there will be uh, really willing to talk with you, and the rodeo announcers are very good at narrating throughout the rodeo itself. It's also very patriotic and uh, a lot of fun. So before you make up your mind or listen to the rhetoric and even lies and mistruths of the animal rights community, go see for yourself. Check online. Check out the PRCA and the WPRA. Read their information. As always, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope you'll subscribe, rate and review the podcast, and by all means, please share it. It's important for me to tell these stories. And I hope you'll join me next time for more Animal Tales.